I have a t-shirt on which is written, friends don't let friends clap on the one and three. I wear it very proudly. It's a concept I take extremely seriously. My 10 commandments is just don't clap on the one and three 10 times in a row. This is something I feel very strongly about. So let me be completely clear. People who clap on the one and three should be shot with balls of their own shit. There are some things in life that you just don't do. You don't bring up religion or politics at the table. You don't take the adjacent urinal. You don't talk about season eight of Game of Thrones and you do not clap on the one and three. There you are, singing your heart out for the entertainment of a crowd of people when inevitably some beat deaf blunderbuss starts clapping on the wrong beat and before you know it, the song, the gig, the whole day, arguably your entire week is ruined. Honestly, I'm getting angry just sitting here thinking about this. I will concede that some people are beyond help. I know that there are people out there who just don't get it and for whatever reason cannot get it. People who listen to country and Irish music, for example, will never get this right. Beat deafness, just like tone deafness, is a real thing. I've come to accept this. I know I'll never get everyone on my side, but that won't stop me trying. All I'd ask from this group of congenitally arrhythmic music lovers is please, whenever you go to a concert, wear mittens. Or I'll be forced to shoot you with balls of your own shit. But I'll pull the trigger on two and four. Hey, 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 mama rock me. Yes, folks, that was this week's guest, Dave Flynn, on our slot in the rant light earlier this season, leaving us in no doubt whatsoever about his feelings for people who clap on the one and three. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, what better way to open today's show than with the country version of our theme tune that Luke put together for Sandy's episode last week, finished off this week by pasting Dave's own claps from his recording of Wagon Wheel and placing them strategically, accurately and delightfully on those most sacred of beats, the one and three. <laughs> Dave, I know you're not here with us right now, but thank you so much for making that tune sound so much better. Rory and Luke, you're welcome to the show. How, How are, are we this week? You good, are. Good. You could stomp to that, man, couldn't you? Yeah. You could shive away to that. <laughs> Left it around on the one and three all night. I were, know you, uh, were you aware of this phenomenon, this, this whole clapping on the one and three thing? Oh, yes. I thought yeah. it was a bit of a stylistic choice by the country uh, by the country music listeners. You know, it, it, it gives it a very p- specific vibe. It does. I don't know. I don't know if it's the problem, though. The problem. Yeah. That's fine. The problem is when those people go to other gigs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And clap along to other kind of music. Yeah. And, and at the Foo Fighters, nailing it in one and three. Oh God! <laughs> you're trying to do some jazzy, bluesy gospel stuff, and you've got this gimpy beat bogging it down on one and three. <laughs> Dirty. I love it. I love it. Luke, you, you definitely should have a competition with Dave uh, about ranting. I think there's, <laughs> I, I think there's a few in you. <laughs> um, how, how about yourself, Rory? Was it something you were aware of? Not really. Like, I mean, I think it's more of, a, you know, people who are real musos and they know where beats should, should be, you know, and there's probably a very specific technical reason to have them beats on you know, the two and four or whatever. 
I it doesn't bother me. I like I heard Dave talking about it. He even wore a T-shirt that said "Friends don't let friends clap on the one and three. And yeah. so obviously, like it's obviously a bit. I don't know if it's the word facetious or whatever. Like that, it's it's a bit over the top on purpose. I don't know if it really bothers people. That well, actually, you're gigging musicians. You so are so not- wrong, Rory. You're, like you've heard Dave, and now you've just heard Luke. You're completely wrong about this, man. I I, I, I don't know. I, I I thought they were just being kind of daftly serious about something that wasn't that serious. But no, have I read no, no, this situation no, no, no. really wrong? Is everyone really annoyed about the one and three? Oh, it's just like I can't. I'm trying to put it in like filmmaking terms or something. You can, can you think of like just a filmmaking thing that just irks you? Yeah, like jump just- jumping in on the line. So, you know, if I film you at a wide and then I jump into a close up, which is on the exact same line as that wide. Right. That, that kills me. Right. So imagine that now and imagine you're watching a three minute long movie clip. And yeah. that happens once every two seconds. <laughs> That'd be a brutal thing to watch. <laughs> right. That's what listening to people clap on the wall because it's. And it's just straight through the whole song every Bloody second. That's what it's like, man. Oh, okay, okay. I was away, lads, in, in Barcelona a couple of years ago. Uh, myself and Sinead were over, um, and we were over with a few others, uh, but it was friends of Sinead's, not people I knew particularly well. And uh, we were out one night in a jazz bar, uh, and there was a live band, and they were great, and the place was packed. One of those things you look back on and, you know, dream about happening again. Uh, but there was a tune and the, the band encouraged the audience to clap along. And, 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 and literally, despite it being a jazz bar, the whole audience were clapping on the one and three, right? And I could see the drummer and the bass player having a laugh about this, right? And I said to, I said to this, the other guy, so it was myself, Sinead, uh, and another couple. And so I said to the other guy, who again, I didn't know particularly well, I said, watch this. Right, so I started in a in a bar of probably 150, 200 people. I was close enough to the front, and I started clapping on the two and four, mm-hmm. while everyone else was clapping <laughs> on the one and three. Right, and straight away the drummer decks it, and he looks at me, and he gives me that yeah man, <laughs> and says you got it going on. And the other dude with me has had such respect for me ever since then. He says, man, the two and four, you got it, man. <laughs> so that must be like a, where, a Where's Wally spot the musician in the bar, the only person clapping on two and four. Yeah, there and he it is. Made, it, it made the drummer's night. Anyway, <laughs> let's Very move good. on to the chat, lads. Um, sure. To tell us about what happens in his life when he's not given out, here's Dave Flynn. <laughs> Dave Flynn, you are welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much. It's great to be here, lads. It's so exciting to have a famous person on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> Steady on. <laughs> you have, of course, been on the show twice already. Um, you uh, contributed to Luke's Breakfast Roll. Oh, yeah. Uh, the famous song where we slagged Luke about not being able to play the violin, which is no longer relevant. I know. Are you going to do another <laughs> one? short work of that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and you also it. were our uh, first contributor to our ill-fated ill slot in the rant light, uh, uh, where you spoke about uh, people clapping on the one and three and how it annoyed you so much. It still does. It I'm still actually does. wearing that t-shirt right now, and I'm very sad to hear this. In the rant light is no more. Well, look, it's just had a wee break. Okay. We're not saying it's no more, but <laughs> right. certainly you might have to revive it yourself, baby Dave, next season. You never know. Like if you if you can think of anything else and you want to just oh, drop us a message, I'd say you maybe, can. Maybe it could become your slot. Yeah. 
Yeah, oh, I, 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 I don't mind that idea at all. Dave Slot on the show. I've got plenty of pet peeves, as well you know. Yeah. <laughs> you just you drop us a message anytime you have something you want to get off your chest, and we'll give you we'll give you a couple of minutes of time. <laughs> anyway, it is that we're about to we're about to um, I'm about to recite my poem, which oh. is as you know tradition on the show to, really to welcome the this. guest and and just the first couple of lines of the poem reference that famous rant you gave us about friends about it's people famous now about people clapping on the one and three so just just in case you're wondering so to welcome you to the podcast Dave here is the poem a famous speech this fine man gave it really was a crusade so brave he emerged one day from his dark cave the future of humanity to save he just wants people to behave to refrain from actions that deprave and with this rant the way he paved for an enlargement of his two and four clapping enclave. <laughs> Anything to get the A of in, go. But when he's not freeing the rhythmically enslaved, <laughs> he's writing notes upon the stave or making musical sound waves that on listeners' memories are engraved. His guitar lessons students crave. About his playing, people rave. He probably needs to have a shave. Our guest this week, it's, it's Famous Dave. Dave. <laughs> Bravo. Excellent. Bravo, Kieran. Did you, nice. did you just go and um, and look up the Rhyme Zone page for Dave and use every single one? Well, there were 21 rhymes and I only used 16. Right. There was like, uh, what, what did I not use? Dave. Like, there was Slave. I don't think I, I got Enslaved got in. Enslaved. Yeah. Um, I liked Stave. Concave. I thought if I could get Concave, concave. in, that would be a good one. Or Conclave. But I did actually do that this morning, Luke. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly Brilliant. what I did. <laughs> do you really feel that strongly about the one in three, Dave? Or I was, do. It, was it a, was it a I, joke for, joke rant for the show? Uh, look, I mean, it's. Um, I was leaning into it. I will admit, but I, it it does it bugs me a lot. Uh, okay, fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. it well, upsets me. I'm glad we gave you that opportunity. Very much. That <laughs> opportunity. So, um, come here. It's great to have you here, and I want to firstly bring you back to. Guess the early to mid two thousands, right? I was looking at your website during the week, and you have famous a video. Famousdavemusic.ie. Famousdavemusic.ie, indeed. <laughs> Cheap plug. You have a video up uh, of your time with Dave Kaus, who was uh, the lead singer and songwriter of the band A House, yeah. among other things. And you played bass with Dave Kaus, and you played bass with Paddy Casey around the same time. And you have, I, I presume it's slightly tongue-in-cheek on your website, but it says, this is from back in the time when I was a rock star, <laughs> right? But in ways you were a rock star. Like you were playing bass with these great musicians. You were playing the Late Late Show. You were playing the Olympia Theatre. You were playing some great venues around the country. Mm. Um, and so what was that like, first of all? What was that, what was that experience like for you? Uh, it was amazing, really. I mean, it was my first kind of proper sort of professional music experience. And uh, I suppose... It's slightly ironic that it was as a bass player when I, I kind of considered myself a guitar player, certainly at the time. Um, and I had, like a lot of things in my career, I'd sort of taken up the bass by accident. Um, and But just the opportunity to play uh, with, you know, those people that, that uh, I got to work with in that time was a, a fantastic sort of university uh, for like a, a contemporary musician. I mean, as you mentioned there, I got to play some amazing venues, recorded a couple of albums, uh, just got some really, really fantastic experiences. I was very young. I was very green. I probably didn't know the value of it at the time. Um, but 
you know, I mean, I, we 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 played support to Bob Dylan with Paddy Casey. Like we Ooh. were ahead of Gary Moore on the bill. Right. Like he Ooh. was on before us. Yeah, do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And it, like it was it was amazing. You know, it was I was a wide-eyed and ignorant twenty-three-year-old hadn't been at this for very long, and here I was, you know, backstage while Gary Moore was was uh, shredding. Um, Still got the blues for you. Class. And you know, and he was back in in the, the the backstage area, the dressing room area, with the like warming up, and we were in sort of the next partition over. And he he had a little Marshall amp and a Les Paul, and he was just playing yeah, away. Yeah. Gary Moore licks a go go, and we're just sipping a couple of cans of Heineken, going, "That's Gary Moore, <laughs> like, yeah, in there. twenty feet away." <laughs> so yeah, it was fabulous. It was brilliant. Um, I look back very fondly on it. Um, the, you know, the rock star thing was tongue in cheek, but it was. Uh, Just like the yeah. famous thing is tongue in cheek. <laughs> I don't like to admit that the famous Dave thing is tongue in cheek, but yeah, um, yeah. you know. But as I said, it was great. It was great training. How, how did you? How did you get discovered, or how did you get asked <laughs> to be in to be in band with either Paddy or Dave? I don't know which came first. Uh, so the Dave Kaus gig came through um, a friend of mine, Michael Dowd, who's a, a fabulous drummer. I think you know him. I do know Mike. He managed to to, to start working with Dave. Somehow I'm not I'm not quite sure how, but Dave at the time was putting together what was going to become his first solo album, and I heard I heard about this from Mike. He was telling me, you know, Dave's going to go over and record this in London, and and I was mad jealous and thinking, I know he needs a bass player, and I can play the bass. How do I get this gig? All right. And uh, Mike basically just put in a few good words for me, and eventually some gig came about. That he Dave was doing a show in Temple Bar in the music centre where he needed a ba- bass player for half a dozen songs. So that was kind of my audition. And then he decided to take me over to record the album with Edwin Collins in London. And I was just kind of officially part of the band from then on. And it was it was through a few people that I met in conjunction with working with Dave that I got the gig with Paddy. Um, Robbie Fitzpatrick had played bass on Paddy's album, Living, and then he left the band to, I think he moved, he joined uh, David Gray's band. Okay. So he needed a bassist and somebody heard of it and put me, put my name in the hat. And so like completely by accident. Yeah. Never, never had any ambitions or, you know, never set out to do any of it. it like, I mean, I won't say it fell in my lap because I was, you know, I was there, I was ready to kind of take the opportunities when I got them. But, you know, there was no rhyme or reason to it. It's I mean, it's the story of my career, really. <laughs> okay, okay, well, we'll we'll come back to that. You, you mentioned, um, you know, this was like your university in a way, you know, playing yeah. with with Paddy and playing with Dave and doing support to Bob Dylan and listening to Gary Moore next door. But you went back, not quite to university, but you, you sort of chose to knock this on the head for a while and to go back yeah. to music college. Like, that was a pretty big decision, I imagine, if you're, you know, playing these massive venues with, with really good artists and you sort of say, Do you know, I'm actually better off spending the next few years back at music college. Is that is that the way it happened? My reasoning behind it was really, um, I I still felt I was a guitar player. Like I was playing bass with uh, with those guys, and I felt like I was a guitar player, and I wanted to really push that and you know improve uh, and and put a bit of proper work into it because I like I was largely self taught all the way up, you know, wasn't as good as I thought I was and I wanted to start to put that right. So I I knew about 
this uh, this course, a one year course, it was at the time in in New Park Music School, a professional musician training course, and I. Uh, I felt like at that stage I could afford it because I'd saved up a bit of money from the 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 work that I've been doing, and I thought, you know, if not now, then I'll I'll always be a frustrated guitar player. I, I felt it was just the right time to do it. As it turns out, I was right uh, for for loads of different reasons. But uh, yeah, you know, I mean, it just just really what I wanted to do, and uh, I've never. I mean, I, I suppose a couple of times in the years since I've made similar kind of leaps that just kind of led by my gut, you know, it felt like the right thing to do. And, uh, you just sort of jump with both feet and hope that there's something underneath you when you land. Did it, uh, lead to you playing more guitar? Eventually. Yeah. Right. Quite a lot more as well, you know. Okay. Well, <laughs> well, tell us, tell us how that happened or like, did you, okay. So you go to college to improve your guitar skills. Um, so did you, did you start getting more guitar gigs or did you make guitar gigs happen for yourself or, or did you have the confidence to do that now you'd been to college or wh- how, did, how did it work after that for you? I, I kind of had this, as it turns out, misguided idea at the time when I, when I went to New Park, I figured what'll happen here is I'll get really good at the guitar and then I'll just, I'll end up getting loads of guitar gigs from the people that I would have been getting bass gigs from because they'll know I'm a bass player and I'll be like, yeah, but I can also do this. And that, none of that happened. Right. So instead I had to go and make the guitar gigs happen. You know, chiefly was uh, setting up a band that you may have heard of called Cold Shot. Yes, yes. Well, for the listeners, I mean, they, <laughs> may, have, they may have gathered. Dave and I, I was in that music college with Dave. That's where we met. And we were on the same, in the same intake that year in 2004. And this band Dave is bringing up now, uh, you know, he very kindly asked me to be in. <laughs> but, you know... Please tell it as if you're not telling it to me because right. the listeners haven't heard this story. Well, I've long been a huge fan of Stevie Ray Vaughan. He's probably my sort of primary guitar hero. Uh, and I had always wanted to put together basically a Stevie Ray Vaughan covers band. But for the longest time, I didn't know good enough musicians to do it. And I mean, I fancied myself as good enough to be Stevie Ray Vaughan. <laughs> uh, but, you know, you need, you need three other shit-hot players. Uh, on bass, on keys, and on uh, drums. So it was through meeting you and uh, Steve Coleman and uh, and James Little and ultimately Tommy uh, in Tommy New Park Moore, yeah. that uh, that I, I finally decided. Okay, these these lads have they've got the chops. I don't know whether they're up for it, but I'm certainly going to ask them. And uh, you know, I was I was very lucky that everyone went. Yeah, all right. When I was like, do you want to join my band? <laughs> um, and then I suppose at that point, the hard work really had to begin because I, I realized like I know all these songs, but none of the lads do. There's 25 or 30 Stevie Ray Vaughan songs that are not all 12 bar blues. Some of them are funk and some of them have odd changes. And and then for the first time in my life, I had to go and chart 25 or 30 songs and and deliver them all to ye. And it never occurred to me either that everything was down-tuned. So I was writing them out in the key of C when it was actually going to be the key of B for you. And that was, you were coming back to me going, these are playing some weird keys, Dave. And I was like, they are. (laughs) (laughs) That Uh, happened recently again as well. Didn't it? it, If you recall, you did um, the Stevie Ray Vaughan set on uh, Kieran's Not A Theme Night show. And you... I think you charted it out or at least told some I people think I that just it was in to e that it was, uh, So just explain that to the listeners, what you mean about down-tuning. All right, so a guitar is usually tuned E-A-D-G-B-E, that's called, you know, standard tuning. And uh, to down-tune, it means to, to alter the pitch of the strings so they're all 
the equivalent of one fret lower. And that has a couple of effects. It makes the guitars sound a bit thicker and heavier, which I think is the primary reason that Steve Ray Vaughan did it. And what it also does is it takes the vocal pitches down by a semitone. So your highest note isn't as high anymore. And maybe that cool. makes it a bit easier to sing. Um, so a lot of blues bands do this um, because you play, you know, you play blues in E, but now you're playing blues in technically it's E flat and the strings just sound a bit fatter. Uh, it's all about the guitar tone, really. So we were down tuning everything, but you know, I, I guess I just forgot to tell everyone. Yeah. Uh, so it led to. I remember a actually bit of those confusion. charts. I remember those charts. I was, I was living. I still have them. Do you? I'm, yeah. yeah. It was. I, it was my. It was my first band, proper band outside of college, and I remember being in like I was still living at home at the time. And it was summertime, we were getting this band together, I think. And, and I remember being in the back room in, in, in the home house, you know, having the keyboard there and slaving away, trying to work out these <laughs> these lines that Stevie Ray Vaughan's piano player was playing, you know. And and it was a real education because, first of all, as you say, you, you'd say, right, this blues is in E and I'd be playing in E and it just doesn't sound right at all. And I was so green that, you know, I, I, you, were, you mentioned you were green. Well, I was green too because I didn't just cop that, okay, they've downtuned. You know, now you just cop it straight away and say so yeah. that's an E flat. But it just took me a while and ringing Dave and trying to figure it out in the I keyboard. Remember, What's going I remember on that here? phone call. I remember I, your, your exact words were, there's some strange keys in those tunes, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's only then when it clicked, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're down tuned. So I, I don't know whether, did you transpose or just play them in the concert keys? Because I, I don't know what... what uh, Steve Ray Vaughan's keyboard player did like they were using Hammond organs and things oh, I was always very only use the transpose key when you really have to yeah because you know so again for the listeners a tr- there's a transpose key on keyboards which means you can play a middle C and it can sound like a B or it can sound like a D depending on how much you transpose this by but there's going to be a day where you're going to show up at a gig and you're used to playing in all these in, in the regular keys with just this transpose button yeah. But you're given an acoustic piano. Then you're with no yeah. transpose button. Yeah. And so what do you do then? Yeah. So I just felt I always felt you just learn your keys. That's that's just, the Kieran Quinn work ethic that's uh, <laughs> that that's become so familiar to all of us. Just learn your keys and you know Just learn your keys. Th- that's this week's lamplight top tip. Top tip. We've got a jingle. Brilliant. Very good. Okay, so that's the Stevie Ray Vaughan gig. Uh, we're going to get to some music shortly, Dave, but I've one more question. I mean, I suppose you mentioned earlier jumping with two feet. Mm. Uh, so you were from Enniscorthy in County Wexford originally. You're, yep. You were obviously gigging, working in Dublin for quite a while. Uh, but you've been in Sligo for 10 years now. 10 years this May. Yeah. So was that one of those jumps? It was very calculated, but it was sort of a leap into the not quite entirely unknown, but uh, uh, to be honest with you, uh, Quinner, it's, it's largely down to you. Now we can cut this part of the podcast if necessary. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm getting, well, getting, no, getting, getting uncomfortable here. Karen hates these moments, by the way. <laughs> Through meeting you at the time when we started up Cold Shot, we were all living in Dublin, gigging around there. And then I suppose early 07, you moved back to Sligo to be closer to the, the football team. Uh, and you were over and back a bit, but you started bringing us over I remember playing our first, maybe our first gig in Sligo was McGarrigal's. It was either McGarrigal's or The Strand. And we ended up coming over very regularly through 07, 08. I moved down to Wexford in 08. I, the short version is started a business, it failed. And by 2010, I was broke. No prospects, no money. And, no, you had uh, prospects. 
Maybe well, no money. You could play okay. bass and guitar. <laughs> yeah, true. And I was extraordinarily handsome. Um, <laughs> yes. Now I can just play bass and guitar. I've still got no money, and I'm not handsome anymore. But uh, so I, you know, I was living in Wexford. We would still come up here very regularly play you know I mean we used to spend ages on the phone booking weekends and I'd go right okay so we'll t- if I'm up here on a Friday evening we could play here on Friday and we'll be there on Saturday we'll do an afternoon gig on Sunday and then I'll drive home yeah. and like that used to sustain me through the intervening six weeks of being at home and being miserable yeah. so well, eventually I just re- I, I realised like if I'm going to be broke at least I can be broke in a place where I can play and be happy uh and maybe something will come of that because uh, there was nothing doing in Wexford. There was nothing for me there at the time. Now, the music scene has changed subsequently and it's improved a lot. But uh, but at, at the time, there was very little happening in the way of gigs. So I figured I like Sligo. There's lots of gigs up there. There's lots of great musicians. And uh, why not? So, I mean, it was... Uh, as I said, not into exactly the unknown, but about as far away from Wexford as I could get without getting on a plane. And I'm thrilled to say, I, I don't. I don't think I could ever envisage a situation where I'll look back and regret moving up here. I mean, it's. I don't credit myself with a lot of smart decisions, but this was definitely one of them. <laughs> well, there's two. Uh, there's two we've spoken about in the first few minutes of this yeah, podcast alone. Yeah. A variation of that story seems to crop up like tons when you talk to people who've moved here from the east or, or the middle of the country or not necessarily the south I think the south has its own kind of draw too but we need to stop telling people now I think this secret is starting to get out rapid you know you're, you're right <laughs> no, to shy build a wall need to build a wall no it's crap stay where you are oh, we have nothing over here it's just it's just the, 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 the cold ocean and, and barren fields lads just don't come Sligo people I think secretly have a fear that if too many people find out about how deadly it is we'll turn into Galway and be overrun with tourists and, and nobody wants that we want enough that it's still fun See, <laughs> yeah, we sign that into a contract yeah. I think you're tapping into something there, Dave. I definitely think there is there is that. You want a certain amount of tourists, exactly. but not that many. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not, not Galway races tourism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, look, we're going to... Um, you obviously are here 10 years. You've been a huge part of the music scene and loads of shows we've done together, mm. uh, including one recently. Uh, Luke mentioned it earlier, not a team night, where you did uh, a Stevie Ray Vaughan set but also this Paul Simon song. Yeah. Um, so it brought you back to your bass days uh, and you were on fretless bass vocals. Bass. Luke was on acoustic guitar and vocals. Yeah. And I played a wee bit of piano. You played a Ooh. magnificent wee bit Beautiful of piano. Beautiful little bit of piano. Oh, thank you, guys. Thank you. <laughs> this <laughs> is... Uh, you got it over here. Oh. Twice now, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is... Uh, do you want to introduce it, Dave? Was Please. it your choice or was it Luke's choice? Uh, I think this was Luke's idea. It's a very mutual choice, in fairness. I think you'd be hard pushed to find two bigger Paul Simon fans than myself and Dave. So you mm. never well, really, ha- you never really have to twist Twitter. our well, yeah. You never have to twist our arm to do anything, Paul Simon. So. No, yeah. I just I can't remember whether the suggestion came from you or from me. But I mean, we once it once it once the suggestion was made, we both immediately lit on and went, oh, "Hell yeah, that'll do it." Yeah, it's it's a it's a beautiful song by Paul Simon uh, called Renee and Georgette Magritte with their dog after the war, which. Uh, he was inspired to write after seeing a painting of that title, I think. Yeah. And um, it's just in typical Paul Simon fashion. It's a beautiful melody, great arrangement, great harmonies. Uh, and we sort of deconstructed it a little bit, but kept the, the overall kind of shape. And uh, I'm absolutely led away with how it turned out. 
and then a, a fabulous uh, video production by Rory as well. That Yo, God, just, I, uh, I, I never get a mention. That was great. Thanks, Dave. <laughs> 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 All I have to do is compliment Luke now for something, and uh, I've got the trifecta. <laughs> Save that for later. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> let's, 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 let's hear this tune. <laughs> i 
That was Renee and Georgette Magritte with their dog after the war. Dave, you met you met Paul Simon once. <laughs> this is not a Johnny Cash story. This is uh, this is nowhere near as exciting as Sandy's version. I but, but I, again, sorry, just go back to your website. You 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 have the two of your ma- musical heroes are Paul Simon and Brian May, mm-hmm. and you've met them both. That's pretty amazing. That is true. And I, Stevie Ray Vaughan's dead, so I can't meet him. Yeah. So look, two right. out of three ain't bad. I mean, in another in another way of thinking about it, the best of my life is behind me now because I've no more heroes left to meet. That's rather depressing, isn't it? <laughs> you can you can find new heroes. Yeah, you can figure Jesus. out the new one. Brought that mood right down. Well done. <laughs> Sorry, lads. I anyway, guess, let, us know, let, let us know. Let us know the Paul Simon story. It might bring our mood back up. Oh God, I can't tell a short version of this. I I accosted him once <laughs> in in a grocery store in in Montauk. Myself and my friend. Dara, uh, we were on our J1 uh, visa for, for our New York summer, which turned into a Montauk summer. And we found out that uh, he, we, I mean, he lives in the area. We knew that. And, um, but he regularly comes into a shop that was down the street from where we were working every Wednesday, 11 o'clock, without fail. He'll be there. If you're there, he'll likely be there so the next Wednesday we were there and for some reason I had brought a load of CDs with me like uh, to <laughs> listen to on on my holidays and Bridge Over Troubled Water was one of them uh, so I dutifully went down with my CD and a Sharpie pen <laughs> and myself and Dara's a huge Paul Simon fan as well uh, so like we were like these pasty little overexcited Irish kids like dancing from foot to foot waiting for him to show up because how, uh, how, how does that play though it could just hold on for a second how does that play right oh Mr. Simon we never knew you were going to be here what a coincidence I have one of your CDs like 
Look, I'm getting to that. <laughs> like that's okay. Okay. But yeah, you're right. It was it was rather strange. Um anyway, he showed up. He bought his bananas and the New York Times. And uh, and we sort of shuffled over him and said, uh, "Hello, Mr. Simon. We're from Ireland and we're huge fans. And would you uh, could we take a picture?" Oh, and he wasn't he wasn't happy about this at all. Like the picture is hysterical because it's me and Dara, like just beaming. And he's there. He's not even looking at the camera. He's about eight inches shorter than both of us. <laughs> and uh, and he's looking. It looks like he's looking at somebody off uh off to the side and he's thinking these two fucking ludramons now look did you see what i have to put up with um but anyway i i rooted out my cd out of the bag and i said i would you would you mind signing this for us and uh, and he looked at it and he went oh that's an old one and uh and because i'm an extremely clever uh, and witty uh, individual. Obviously. <laughs> I said to Paul Simon, I said, yeah, they don't make them like that anymore. <laughs> oh. I, I, he was in the middle. He was about to start signing it, right? And I go, they don't make them like that anymore. Yeah, Graceland was, no, not the Rhythm of the Saints. Pff, useless. <laughs> and he stopped and he looked at me and he sort of, his shoulders shrank just a little bit. Oh. And then he signed it. <laughs> in fairness to him, he did sign it. And did you not uh, kind of correct yourself and tell him that Graceland was your most favouritest album of all the times? No, I didn't because I, I realised just the stupidity of what I'd said and my mouth just welded shut. And <laughs> and, uh, and he handed it back to me and, and then he left. And, and I, at the time, I didn't really care all that much because Ooh. we got our picture, I got my signed CD which I still have. It's in, in, a, in a frame at home. And, um, you know, the story is, you know, just typical of my overexcited talk before I think kind of Oh, well, in habit. fairness, you know, you're meeting your hero. <laughs> I read his autobiography recently and he doesn't actually mention that encounter, which surprised me. <laughs> because I thought it was probably among the more memorable of his uh, meetings. But He's supposed to be a generally rather grumpy individual. I've heard that, but I certainly didn't help his mood on that day. I do know that for a fact. Sometimes I think if I was to have an encounter like that with a famous person, someone I really admire, I think in that moment I would have to make a decision between, especially now that pictures is so easily done with smartphones and everything, I think I'd have to make a decision between do I go up to this person and I do I go, excuse me, can do you mind if I take a picture or get them to sign something and, and have some kind of proof of the the meeting or would I just go up and say excuse me I just wanted to can I just shake your hand and say that I really enjoyed your can't music can't shake your hand anymore you'd have to do the picture and, and walk away and, and kind of not having pissed them off and have a memory of a nice interaction versus having proof that you actually met yeah. them I yeah, think that's the rock that and the hard, hard. play question oh. for sure because you're going to definitely like it's it's kind of like oh, definitely no proof that didn't happen like you're talking shite yeah. But they were like, oh, dude, but I was cool. I was like the cool guy walking away. I even put on my shades and everything coming out of the door because yeah. I was deadly. Yeah. yeah, and it's a split-second calculation that you have to make. And I think regardless of which way you go, you'll come away from it going, I should have done the other thing. The, the other, other one. Yeah. Mm. What you no. want to do is you want to have somebody standing off the way with a hit, hitting with a camera <laughs> and you go up and K- you do the cool one it. and you have the good interaction but you have a stealthy picture taken from somewhere else well that's what if it's anything like what happened in last week's episode with Sandy Kelly the person taking the picture is going to faint <laughs> you can't always trust the photographer for so sure. I'm not sure that's going to work either um, as I recall the person taking the picture didn't know who was coming through the door though true true so true if, if you have them queued up 
there might be a bit more safe. Go back and listen to that Sandy Kelly episode. <laughs> There's some great uh, stories about Johnny Cash in it. And we have stories about Paul Simon now, thanks to this week's guest, Dave Flynn. Dave, I have a theory. Uh, it's not necessarily oh. just about you. It's about musicians in general that... I've often thought this, that we sort of, when, when we start out, now this is not every musician, but it's, it's lots of musicians. When we start out, we're all convinced we're going to be rock stars. Yep. And, true. and we're going to make it big and we're going to take over the world. That's true in my case, yeah. And then at some point, for the vast majority of us who don't become rock stars, we figure that I'm not going to be a rock star. I haven't entirely given up <laughs> okay. just yet. But <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. But I see but, what you're getting at. Okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but, um, okay, so I'm not going to be a rock star, but. I still love music yep. and I want to keep playing and yep. I want to make a career out of it if I can. So how do I make that work? Okay, you're still clinging on to some <laughs> morsel of rock star hope. But I'm not dead and buried yet, Quinn. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, just in case that doesn't happen, have you ever thought in this way as in, okay, how can I, how can I make music happen for me without being a rock star? Uh, I, I don't think I've ever sort of had that explicit conversation with myself. Mm. Um, but the motivation to just to to be a musician has always been there um you know everything i've done uh, for the last 15 to 20 years has has just been about making sure that i i can i can continue to do this for a living and it's the only thing i ever wanted to do no other qualifications so i mean it's not like i have any choice at this point there 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 never was the the sort of the sitting down and and having you know the day of reckoning with myself okay right how am i going to do this but i've just never i've never given myself really the option or the opportunity to do anything else i've grabbed opportunities when they've arisen i've made some opportunities from for myself i've uh, you know i've just tried to try to be a musician as best as i can you know and whether you know okay fair enough for most people the becoming a rock star doesn't come to fruition but an awful lot of musicians uh, get by just fine, or at least you know they used to prior to all of this. Mm. But um, you know, there, there's there's a living to be made in all sorts of facets of the music industry that doesn't involve like MTV cribs and all of that. Yeah. And and that was like that was never a sort of an acknowledgement that I had to come to one day. Uh, but rather, it was just as my circumstances changed and as the decisions I've made um, led me in other directions. They were always musical directions and they're always going to be. So, you know, no matter what happens, I think, I'm, you know, I'm always going to be a musician of some stripe. Yeah. I, I came across this lovely uh, written account of your guitar classes. This is from, written by Cassie and Samara, uh, who are in third class in the Sligo School Project. And oh, you used to go into their class. I did. Um, their teacher's name is Deirdre. Yeah. And they wrote this. And I'm just going to read it out to you because it's a lovely account of what you do. Deirdre's class started guitar lessons a few weeks ago. The teacher's name is Dave Flynn. He is brilliant at guitar. He <laughs> plays in a band. Sometimes he plays Spanish music for us. And we say, ole. <laughs> 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 Dave teaches us all about the guitar It is an acoustic guitar It has six strings Dave told us how to remember The names of the strings And I love this E-A-D-G-B-E Eddie ate dynamite Goodbye, Goodbye Eddie, Eddie. <laughs> I've never heard that one That's great We learned about the nut and frets He showed us how to play chords for songs We only use three frets Three frets Dave uses lots more. <laughs> the, ha- the handle part is called the neck of the guitar. Here are the chords we have learned so far. G, E minor, C, D, B minor, 7, and A. That's C. We can play lots of songs with these chords. Songs like Frozen, 
Wagon Wheel, Shut Up and Dance, Hit the Diff, Bills and Twinkle Twinkle. It is hard to change the chords fast, but we are getting better. We love learning the guitar. Oh. We will do it for 15 weeks. Dave comes to the school every Monday for an hour. We all have our own guitar to use. Music Generation, let us borrow them. It is good fun and Dave is good fun too. At the end, <laughs> he sings a song for us. This is one of his songs. Some songs are very, very long. <laughs> This one isn't. I'll sing that for you if you like. <laughs> lovely. Oh, we don't have time, don't Dave. Sorry. Oh, that's amazing. Isn't it lovely? I haven't. I haven't come across that before. That's so nice. Yeah. So that's Cassie and Samara I from the Sligo School Samara. Project. Yeah. Are you using uh, three frets? Were you just teaching them Ed Sheeran songs, or <laughs> pretty much? Yeah. Yeah. If you need me to sub in at any point, you just tell me. <laughs> yeah. When you get to the fourth fret after the on week sixteen, we was only we were only fifteen weeks with Sligo School Project, so we never never got to the fourth fret. Ed Sheeran's guitar doesn't have fourth fret anyway. <laughs> tell us a bit about your teaching philosophy, Dave. I believe that anyone can be taught to play an instrument. I like to try and dispel the myth that you either have it or you don't. You know. There's the, there's the guys who can play guitar and then there's uh, everyone else or the guys who, you know, you're just born with it. You're not. It's a skill. Certain people have more of an innate aptitude for it, but fundamentally it's muscle memory and it's mechanical finger dexterity, whether it be the piano or the violin or the <laughs> mandolin <laughs> or the guitar, you can learn it. And... Uh, that's pretty much my my overarching philosophy. I've seen you in action and, you know, the, these girls, the words of Cassie and Samara ring true. I've taught on many camps with you, for example. And like, you're a great man to to lead out in, in a room full of 50, 100 kids. Like, and you will be the man who goes out and teaches them a song or does a silly dance in front of them <laughs> or has the crack with them. You you're, you just have a way with you like that. You know, as I say, I can see exactly what the two girls are talking about. And and that's not, like, that's just you. That's just you deciding, okay, I'm going to be the guy who, who, who does this and who sort of takes charge here and goes out and, you know, teaches them the penguin dance for the crack or, you know, or, or, or leads them in a vocal, a vocal warm-up. You know, you're very good like that. Also, I'm an attention seeker. Yeah, that's just <laughs> I love an audience. Love that's Very just his own. <laughs> I'm going to be their favourite. <laughs> yeah. That's what that is. <laughs> Another example of you, you know, launching yourself into an aspect of musical work. You know, we've spoken about teaching. Uh, and this is more recent, but is, is the world of, of choir master. Completely by accident, again. Go on. How, how did it happen? Um, so in 2015, the Hawkswell Theatre launched this project called Sligo Sings. Oh, yeah. The idea behind it was they were, they were going to try and put together a load of community choirs. or I think at the time it was workplace choirs. They were going to sort of um, inaugurate choirs in a load of workplaces who would sign up to this project and commit to rehearsing for a certain number of weeks. And the choir, the choir master would be provided by the Hawkswell, who would be a, a, a local musician from the Sligo community, um, who would just teach them a couple of songs with the goal of bringing them on stage in a big finale, you know, eight, nine, ten choirs, whatever it was, um, and everyone would perform whatever songs they'd learned over that couple of weeks. So I was approached by, I, I, I'm pretty sure it was Marie, who, Marie O'Byrne, who's the director of the Hawkswell, who, who called me and said, you know, we, we, we thought... That you might this be is actually, interested. sorry, Dave, I'll come back to that. This is another example. This is another common theme through our podcasts is like the amount of people who've come in and said, 
the Hawks will ask me to do this. Yeah. Yes. And the Hawks, you know, yeah. And yeah. It's, it's amazing. We must put together a little montage of it or something. <laughs> yeah. So many people have got opportunities from the Hawks. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Well, so look, this is another one. You you became yeah. a choir master through this Lego Sings project. Yeah. And I, I mean, again, again, it was something that had never occurred to me, but they 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 thought of me for whatever reason and and I said yes and I was paired up with two choirs uh, on that occasion actually one of whom I'm still working with the Hearts Desire Choir in the county council who yeah. are the county council staff choir and I I I just loved it loved uh, it completely it, out of the blue and, and it got you on the telly it sure did yeah <laughs> it is and, yeah uh, yeah and all the opportunities that have come my way since then always oh, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah i mean it led it led to getting a role in uh, david brophy's choir of ages which was uh, a series made in 2017 about choirs made up of people over 70 and under 12 um and i'm still working with uh, with that choir which was based in the Bala center so i'd like to say a big hello to Sarah and all the gang in the Choir of Ages. I mean, we we haven't been able to rehearse lately, obviously, but we have uh, we have Zoom meetings every now and again and just catch ups and we sing a few songs and and you know we're still like we're still a choir in spirit, if not in uh, sort of actuality at the moment. Yeah. Um, so yeah, again, just opportunities that led from saying yes to that one thing. Sounds okay. like a class idea. Like yeah. I mean, I I'm, I'm always <laughs> mad about that when you take kids and older people mm. and they do like activities, be it drawing or art or whatever. Or you remember that community thing that was there for a while? It was like get young people to teach older people how to use a computer. Remember that? Yeah. And like a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of the older people came back and they were like. Sure, I have no interest in learning to use the computer, but talking to the young people is nice, it's you know. I, yeah. Yeah. Do you know? And it's that kind of difference. I just think it's a lovely idea, man. Yeah. For that, sure, that was David Brophy's sort of uh, main idea going into it was partly that it's two vo- types of voices that you almost never hear together. Yeah, you know, you hear kids' choirs, and then you hear adults and older people, but you never hear the very young and the very old voices together. So, also, then you have all of that other great social interaction with. Mm you know, old people and young people sort of sharing stories and interacting in an unusual situation and all of the sort of uh, just kind of comedy and situations that can arise from that. And, you know, it was a a brilliant, a brilliant show. uh, And, you know, the the repercussions of it have been fantastic for for the Bala Choir of Ages because we're still, we're still together. We're still friends. We've, we've uh, gigged loads. We've made a CD. We've done all sorts of stuff Brilliant. and, you know, it's, it's been, and again, you know, I, I just, I love it. Yeah. I never knew. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but there you go. Yeah. Nice. You're very good at it. You're a very good conductor and oh, very thanks. precise and yeah, no, it's great to see you in action. You've obviously jumped in with this and, and really gone for it. Um, an example of which is when uh, you arranged uh, a song that I wrote uh, I wrote with Kate Winter back in 2015. Mm. Um, you arranged this for the Hearts Desire Choir in, in Sligo County Council, yeah. which you you mentioned there. You arranged it for four parts, a uh, beautiful arrangement of the, of the song, and you recorded it, or, well, Luke recorded it um, in the in the chamber, the County Council chamber mm. one day with with uh, with yourself, myself, and, and the Hearts Desire Choir. So we might have a listen to that sure. now. This is Maeve's Call. What 
once again as you have now and then to come away That was Maeve's Call, arranged by Dave, recorded by Luke and written the music by myself and the lyrics by Kate Winter. Um, So Dave, a third example of you making music work for yourself in a non-rockstar way, although this is probably the closest to a rock star, is being the frontman of a band. So for years, uh, we were in a band together, Anything Goes, 
uh, and you were the, the sort of front man, okay? Obviously, there was two singers, yourself and Sinead, Sinead Conway, who was a guest on the show back in season one. Um, but you did most of the chatting, most of the talking to the crowd, most of the revving them up and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I have great memories of you. We spoke, <laughs> we spoke to Orla Sweeney a couple of weeks ago um, about the project, the Kjol music albums that she put yeah, together. Um, I heard that. Yeah, one of one of the tracks on on one of the albums was "Lame Heart" by Des Bishop, mm-hmm. and I've I've just brilliant memories of playing gigs with you, playing weddings, and you know you just jumping off the stage uh, with your microphone and being in the middle of a circle of hundreds, hundred and fifty people, you know everyone jumping up in the air. You know this is this is an Irish <laughs> version of jump around. Yeah, um, where did this come from? I, I mean, okay, is this linked to you? doing the penguin dance with 150 kids that you want to be you want to be in the centre of them uh, you know just having the crack and or, or, like or you know had you dreams of being a front man in a band growing no, up or but if there's one person who can steal the limelight from the bride at her own wedding <laughs> <laughs> then I intend to be that person <laughs> love it love it uh, very good uh, at least you're honest uh, uh, that's brilliant that evolved over time I don't think I don't think I started out straight away by leaping out into the crowd like we'd been doing I suppose I I'd been doing Lame Heart for a long time in various different guises. I remember learning the words of that actually on on a drive up to Sligo. I think it was just before my 30th birthday party because before I lived in Sligo, I booked my 30th birthday party, which was known as Dave Stock. I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure people are still talking about I'm it. I'm sure they are. Yes. To this day, but yes. uh sure you are. I, I remember <laughs> Well, I am. <laughs> Quite clearly. I spent pretty much the whole drive up just reciting the, you know, kind of going line by line through, because I'd known the the English jump around since 1993, probably. Cypress Hill. Yeah. No, House of Pain. House of Pain. Yes, um, indeed. House of Pain is in effect, y'all. And anyone <laughs> that steps up is getting wrecked. Yeah. Um, Give us a verse of lame heart there. Ah, for sure. Doing, uh, doing the club, doing the veil, Aisla Mushkale, my captain to good digging to Tatu Curry Gale. For those of you who are listening, I'm leaping around the room. Talking to good digging to Tatu Curry Gale. Tom McDull, who bowed a kangaroo man, slaughter, Gilamakna, vegan cock and salt and Lauren Sauda. Sustein, Boostein, Balabiaga, Hustein, Naviak, Plikin, Nayoik, doesn't like it. Neil me, Egiri, Aisla, Glid the Cockbow, Dousa, Dousa. Your line! Sorry, I've forgotten. <laughs> Talk about dropping the ball. The Come on, Quinn. I was, oh, I was Luke was even beat. I knew it. I knew it was totally unreal. I just couldn't okay, remember what, what I had one? to say. Bukali, Grona, Bjuga, Don, and the Hugger Misha Ardena. Gardashi Akana. Yes. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Any more? I mean, I'll do it all if you want, but I don't think uh, yeah, anyone else wants well, to Well, that's, that's a little bit of lame heart, which is great. I was thoroughly enjoying it. Yeah. It's, it's, and it's, I, I said this to Orla, like, it's amazing the way they they, they remain faithful to the, li- li- not to, to the message of the song, but yet made it rhyme in Irish. Yeah. The lyrics, are, like, it's it's not even remotely a direct translation, but it's absolutely the spirit of it. Yeah. yeah. Um, which, which is fantastic, yeah. you know, and people go bananas for it. Even though half of them don't understand it. Well, that's the thing. But you don't have to though. No. But I think part of it is the, the it's it's not because uh, because I'm singing it or because somebody, a band is singing it on this wedding night. It's because first and foremost, I think the song, the, you know, Des Bishop's version of it sort of permeated so far into society that everyone, everyone heard it at least. And 
all you have to do is jump. Like you don't have to know the words. Yeah. You all you have to do is know that it's coming up, and everyone does know it's coming up because who? What other Irish rap songs are there? Well, maybe there's a few now, but. You know, so they're just getting ready to jump. And like, even if you have no Irish, you know what lame means. Yeah. So like, <laughs> it's, it's almost like it's, it's sort of purpose built to absolutely murder on the dance floor. And it does. <laughs> and it still it does. I mean, we haven't done it for years, Egypt. but I'd say if we did it, if we did it uh, again, you know, it could be the same result. People would just go ballistic for it. Mm, yeah. And like, how, how can you not? Love that as a front man. It's like, I'm making all these people dance. Look at them. Look at me. I'm the front man. <laughs> I'm getting all the attention. <laughs> Which is quite appealing, it yes. has to be said. Uh, for sure. <laughs> sure. Okay, so all these things you've done, Dave, like, you know, front man of a band, teacher, choir master, bass player, arranger. If you, if, if, if money wasn't an option and you could spend the next five years doing one of them or doing something you haven't done yet musical in your career what would it be? I used to say if money was no object I would be a blues and jazz well a, a blues player but I don't know that I would answer that still that is a really interesting question honestly I've, I've no idea how to answer that I, I don't think I would be satisfied with just doing the one thing I think one of the things that is really pleasing about my career as it existed prior to all this unpleasantness was um, the variety, that it wasn't the same thing over and over again. It was loads of different things. So can I say I'd like to continue doing loads of different things, but just not have to worry about paying the rent? Yeah, yeah is that sure. Okay? And, and is, that, is that the reason you don't, it's not, I want to be a blues guitarist anymore? It's because I'd wanna, I want to, I know I could be a blues guitarist and it'd be great crack, but I might get bored of just doing the one thing. Well, I, th I think I would. Yeah. yeah. I think that's, that's part of it. I mean, I would certainly like to be a blues guitarist, but I think I'd like to be other things as well. Like I don't, I, I'd hate to think that I could never conduct a choir again. Mm. That'd be like, that'd be awful because I, you know, I, I just, I love that so much. Um, I mean, I'd hate to think that I could never uh, teach uh, classes again or teach students again because you know I really enjoy that too I mean I find that incredibly satisfying I hate to think that I would be confined just to one thing I probably would get bored that's a great discovery isn't it For our, it's, it's yeah. great that you've been through all these things and yeah and you know you're probably if I tell you what if money was no object I'd love to learn to fly a plane uh, <laughs> Look, right just, there with you the little, two of us are going to put in it. a little scratch there that, that just took a total tangent to everything yeah. <laughs> what? I like to have got and this is totally totally uh, completely off the wall but now that you've mentioned it do you know what I've been doing the last while I bought a virtual reality headset and I've been playing flight simulators no way virtual no reality way. yeah it's amazing it's just like wow. sitting in sitting in the cockpit of a plane is it really yeah wow very good very, very good. That, you had a wee flying lesson. Though, I didn't did, you? yeah. And uh, again, sort of, not well, not unexpected. I mean, I've had a slight interest in aviation, and I've always loved flying. But uh, yeah, I got a chance. Emma bought me uh, a, a flying lesson for my 40th birthday, which uh, I got to redeem. And I was like, I got out of the plane. I was like, I'm buying one. How much is that? Um, <laughs> yeah. Right. Listen, what are we talking here for? What's what's the pilot's license going? I mean, I was seconds out of the plane. Yeah. Talking to. The, the pilot who would take me up was going, right, come on, let's brass tax here. What's this going to cost me? I had the and exact same experience. On. I was full on, okay, one a week isn't feasible. That's two. I couldn't afford that. But <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> like I could probably do one a month and that'd be right an hour, hour a month. Yeah. And that's, I don't know what do they need? 60 hours. Right. Yeah. A couple of years. I mean, this is, I was like, Emma and I were having serious discussions about this going, we could, we could probably do it. Well, do it. Well then, you know, COVID and no income and all. So ah, yeah. it's had to be put on hold for a while. That's going to be all finished. <laughs> could be a lovely thing to do, wouldn't it though? Sunny day, go out and get the plane, go for a wee spin and go for a chicken fillet roll. Look, was it you that told us one time that you did that you did fly in? I, I basically had the same experience as Dave, like when I was 17 at that stage. What I thought I was going to go and do was be a pilot. How many weeks ago was this? But like the exact same experience, got out of the plane, it was like, that's amazing, when can I come back? How fast can I get this done? And then you kind of get the price and you go, okay, let's let's reconsider. Right. Um, so I never went back to it, just... It was so expensive. It yeah. is so expensive. If you if if you want to go and train to be like a full commercial pilot, you're talking like remortgage your house. I right. have not even not even a commercial pilot, like just no. a private pilot's license. Yeah. I mean that's that's still expensive, but so that's that's the money's no object. I'd keep working, but I'd train to be a pilot. Dave, you and I will do that someday. We there both go. are gonna have that done. Someday. Make a podcast Great. about it. We'll yeah. Motiv- we'll motivate it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be a good crack. Dave and Luke's flying lessons. It'll just be, the podcast will be an no, hour. It'll be Luke and Dave's <laughs> flying lessons. <laughs> yeah, it was unreal. <laughs> okay. Um, on that note, we're going we're, we're gonna to sign off until Luke and Dave's flying lessons podcast becomes available. Uh, Dave, you're going to choose the last song. Um, this is something you've been working on with uh, some friends of yours. Do you want to just tell us a bit about this, this, this last tune we're going we're gonna to play? Since I get to choose, I'm going to pick the most self-indulgent piece of uh, show offery <laughs> I can possibly imagine. <laughs> it's a song called Tour Down House by a guitarist called Scott Henderson. Um, I first heard it a couple of years ago, just blown away by it, loved it. Uh, and it's, it's, a, it's a kind of a fusion-y, bluesy, jazzy kind of tune in the vein of Stevie Ray Vaughan, but like evolved through um, a couple of different jazzy uh, filters and just insane guitar playing. So I heard this and I was like, one day I'm going to learn that. And I tried several times and it turns out it was really, really hard. I, I thought for a while I was going to play it at my 40th birthday and then that didn't work out. Um, so recently with, you know the current unpleasantness uh, and having more time on my hands, I sat down and, and got properly stuck into learning it. And uh, I decided I was going to make one of these sort of multi-screen video things of it. So I roped in a friend of the podcast, Sinead Conway, and a friend of all of ours and Sinead's husband, Steve, to do drums and vocals. Um, I played guitar and bass on it. And uh, it's uh, I'll probably never play it in my life again, but... I sat down and recorded it a couple of weeks ago and I'm delighted with it. It's, and it's, as you know, it has to be said, it's not for everybody. It's very self-indulgent, but I love it. It may be, it must be said that we are going to play the shortened version of it. That's there right. Is, there yeah. is a full seven plus minute long version <laughs> of this on Dave's YouTube channel. <laughs> but we, uh, we decided that the listeners might not stay with us for, for quite yeah, that with, length. With, with good reason. Four yeah. minutes is probably enough for, for sane people. Um, but Dave, thanks a million for coming in. Well, thanks for having us. It's thanks, been great. Man. Yeah. Uh, we Cheers. must get you, get you back, get you ranting. I'm sure oh, this won't I'll be... Rant. I'm sure this won't be the last time you feature on In the Lamplight. <laughs> in the Rantlight. <laughs> in the Rantlight. Dave Flynn, thanks for coming. 
Cheers, Cheers lads. Cheers. Yes, indeed. This is Tore Down House featuring Dave on guitar and bass, Steve Coleman on the drums and Sinead Conway on the vocals.
No, I don't talk about it much these days. Like, Dad is the reason we all did it, like, because that he came up playing music. And I'm thinking, is it I who did something wrong? So from saying yes to looking after my grandmother, I got one of the greatest passions that I've ever had in my life. It was just, it was an incredible place to be, just so vibrant. So you are, you know, the closest thing we have to a rock star. Lockdown, I'm bored with it now. I'm fucking bored with yeah. it. I wish it would go f- yeah. off. <laughs> we here at in the lamplight would like to unreservedly apologise <laughs> that's beautiful the two of you beautiful <laughs> that's great now lads that's a heap of people that will never ever come on our podcast now that- um, right I, 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 I have a competition this is between Sinead and Luke but then she hit a fake high C he's a man with a huge soul and a bigger heart <laughs> Luke's happy about it by the sounds oh wow lads how good was that is this um is this a trick question? You are very welcome to the podcast. It is. What about you and that handsome lamplighter? So that was Dave. Uh, lads, I have a question for you. I'm wondering what you think of my theory. Oh, right. the, the theory I presented to Dave there about how most musicians start off wanting to be rock stars and then most of them figure out it's not going to happen for them. And then they just figure out a way to make music work for them. Have you seen that or... Are you too young? Are you still in the rock star phase? I, I definitely am. I like, there isn't a day that <laughs> I, was I w- waiting for that. <laughs> I like, God bless I, your honesty. <laughs> I, I'm still, I still wake up and go, geez, I wonder if today the day now where I get discovered as like a something or other. And the yeah. funny thing is, I don't know what I want to be discovered as yet, but I know I want to be discovered as something. So. <laughs> <laughs> you probably actually have no choice what you're going to be discovered as. Yeah. yeah. That's up to the, the discoverer. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but I think like, yeah, I think when I lose that, which I'm sure I will, uh, it'll be a sad day because I really enjoy it. It's a bit like why people buy lottery tickets. There's like a massive chance you won't, but you still buy it because that little like fantasy that you have in your head for the 10 minutes after you buy the ticket where you go, oh, I would buy a class house. That whole <laughs> thing is, that happens to me, but career wise. So so 10 years time, Rory, you're, you haven't been discovered as such, right? Uh, but you're still working as a, as, a, as a filmmaker, videographer, as a barber. You've got a good business. You're working with good people. Are you disappointed? Yeah. Right. Is that, yeah. Is that, is that wrong? I don't know. See, it's weird. Like, is that wrong? But yeah, no, I think well, in, it's, it's honest. In, no, I think, right. Okay. Let me, let me preface that a wee bit. If I'm still working in jobs that I really enjoy, I still think I'll be driven to get better. I'd be more disappointed if I had lost my passion for the things that I love. I think that at the end of the day, it is a bit of a lottery as to whether you get discovered or not. But as long as you can find happiness in what you do, the rest is just a bit of a, it's just a bit of a punt, isn't it? It's a bit of a kick a goal and hope it goes in. Like, yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's an interesting thing that you just said there, Kieran, that you don't have a choice as to what you get discovered as. Yeah. Which is quite true when you think about it. Like the poor... Native Americans abroad didn't have much of a choice when Christopher Columbus discovered them and called them Indians. Like that was out of their hands, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but it's true. True yeah. point. <laughs> you could be thinking, I'm, this is what I do and this is what I'm going to get discovered as. And Rory, you could get discovered as, you could get discovered as a, a really, really good barber in demand by famous celebrities up and down the place rather than a filmmaker. You yeah. have any choice. 
Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I actually think that was a really, again, just to reiterate what you said, it's a really clever way of looking at it. You don't have a choice on what you get discovered as. I quite like that. Yeah. So you just got to keep doing your good work, isn't it? You keep, keep, yeah. keep producing good work. And yeah, if you get discovered, you do. And who knows what that leads to. And then if you don't, you do have the fallback of knowing that you're producing good work. Absolutely. And just that you're happy doing it. I yeah. think every time I, there's, there's times I produce videos and I go, okay, I know what I've learned from that one. And then there's other times I produce one and I'm like, that's the one, that's the, the right eye sees that now. And it's, <laughs> I might as well start buying me yacht now, that's her. So like, yeah, if I get them little peaks of, of joy from work, I think that's, that's, that's kind of enough, even though I still would like to be discovered. <laughs> do you know what I'd do if I won the stupid amount of money? silly amount of money like 200 million on the euro millions or something I'd put a beautiful sound system into all of the live music venues and pubs and bars in town and I'd pay a sound engineer a yearly salary to sit into them so that no matter what gig you (laughs) walked into the sound was always crystal You'd be a tyrant round the town, man. You'd walk into Fiddler's and it'd be slightly off and there'd be pints being flung in at bartenders. Where's the sound engineer? Get that right. No, no, no. I'd <laughs> pay the best. I would pay the best of the best. I'd pay them a really nice yearly wage to just rock into that pub and make sure the sound's all right. You know, you're, you know, Luke, you're as well not doing the lottery now because you've been, you've pretty much just sealed your fate of where all of your money for the rest of your life is going <laughs> if you ever do win it. We have evidence now. Maybe I should have thought that too. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. On that note, folks, that is the end of our second season, our remote season, season 1.5. Plans for season two are advanced. We do hope to be recording live music again with our guests, but we're not quite in a position to say just yet when it will begin. In the meantime, however... We really want your feedback, specifically on different theme tunes we've put together for the start of each of our episodes this season. Next week's episode will present the results of the vote, as well as a review of the season and the big announcement regarding season two. So, you're about to hear snippets of the eight tunes. Vote for your top three, please, in order, and email us with your choices at lamplightpod at gmail.com. While you're at it, if you have time, please let us know what your favourite episode has been so far and why you liked it. We will open the first episode of season two with the most popular tune. So how about that, lads? Sounds good. Sounds great. And I should say as well, if people uh, want to message us on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or anything like that to let us know what their their favourite one is, it doesn't have to be an email. Just get in touch with us in any way you can. Indeed. All right. Cheers, lads. Good luck. See you next week. Bye, everybody, and thanks for listening. Bye.